welcome everyone as Fantastic Geek dives back into that place that's a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everyone. Here today with the fifth uh, of a six-film podcast plan uh, that started with episode one, once as a Patreon exclusive, now completely over the air for everybody. And Pete, uh, Star Wars in the air, so it seems, uh, as we record this, uh, perhaps in about, not even perhaps, wildly accepted to be that in 48 hours time, that is to say, on Monday, January 16th, during some footage ball of the American style, uh, there might be released a new Mandalorian season uh, three slash four, okay, Mandalorian season three uh, trailer. Uh, both during the football game and then one would assume across social media, YouTube, etc. And I believe we even have confirmation by one of the performers. Yes, Carl Weathers has tweeted that out. I have to imagine if it's a secret and he wasn't supposed to tweet it, well, now it's out. And if it's not, <laughs> if it wasn't supposed to be said, now it's out. And if it's wrong information, he probably would have said, oh, my bad, taking down that tweet. I misheard a thing. Much love, John and Dave. You know, so I think Pete. I think we could take it to the uh, take those credits to the bank. Well, if Grief Karga goes in season three, we'll wonder why he doesn't direct an episode in season four. <laughs> uh, so certainly that to look forward to, particularly Pete with the uh, Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek coming back with uh, you know the main the main show uh, in March. That of course is the March first return of Mandalorian. Uh, so no time like the near future to be talking about Mando season three. Yes. A little bit of bad batch in the interim, of course, been fairly solid to start off. But as we dig in here, Matt, to the empire strikes back, my favorite movie of all time and the standard as a sequel, which puts all of our heroes into darker more elemental places than the original ever could certainly have to agree that it is the template by which one can measure a sequel and i was struck watching this i was struck how uh i mean of course any sequel is not tied down by doing the things that a first you know a first entry must do in terms of establishing characters their direction conflict situation setting etc but really untethered by the need to lay the story table in the beginning and making the creative choice, um, which clearly was the right one for Empire Strikes Back, but kind of not needing not needing a full ending to this movie by the end of it. Uh, indeed, Pete, I would argue and will argue when we talk Return of the Jedi next week that the first 25 minutes of Return of the Jedi are actually the last 25 minutes of Empire Strikes Back. But again, this ability to do kind of an open-ended beginning and an open-ending end, it just it just lets this movie fly free and lets these characters fly free. And I think that's a major factor why it is so well-received, so well done. Well, what better way to follow up the Saturday morning serial success of the original star wars with the greatest cliffhanger 
cinematically speaking, of all time. And in the opening crawl here, despite the the uplift of the original, these are now dark times for the rebellion. Uh, the tease of adventures in between films, of course, three year uh, release uh, interim. Um, other than that holiday adventure, they went on, you know, the one with the animated Boba Fett and B. Arthur, the bar, the bartender and Art Carney and a creepy Wookiee grandfather watching hologram porn. Uh, yes, the Star Wars holiday special is I'll, I'll still never forget the time that we. We watched it and did a commentary track and all that. On Patreon for all those patrons, once once they rush to listen to our special edition of uh, this podcast, what we we would do in a special edition for this film, they can uh, hit that one if they haven't already. It's quite a thing to watch. That's all I'll say about that. But for this film... Um, you know, it's funny. On the one hand, it's following the template of the first in that you're starting with or adjacent to the baddies and so on and so forth. But Star Destroyer comes at the audience now, went away <laughs> before. Uh, indeed. And just the whole notion of the probe droids being being sent out across the galaxy. Um, the cinematic language, the camera follows one. I think Pete, as a kid, maybe I thought that like, and then the probe droid just went like over there for like four minutes and then it landed on Hoff, you know, with more adult eyes, you can say, and some amount of time went by because the Imperial fleet is not, you know, ca cannot visually see Hoff from where they are going, gee, I wonder where <laughs> these rebels are. Um, but it really is such a handy way to, you know, th there's the lone figure on the space horse uh so to speak oh. on the tauntaun reveal of luke skywalker as as goggles come off as as uh you know snow mask comes off and so forth um and it's just such a you know such a such a nuanced way to reintroduce these characters as you say pete from a period of time where it really was three years in between new entries um as opposed to now where you know you could just click on you know if if you're seeing star wars for the first time you're one click away from getting these characters back for the next adventure that you know wait for more star wars when there had only been one film and again that officially speaking other than the boba fett portion of the holiday special the rest does not exist <laughs> for you to get your hands on um, and and then to get more. And where do we open here on Hoth with this base, with Darth Vader's obsession to find Luke Skywalker? Um, the stop motion uh, hybrid practical uh, tauntauns filmed on a uh, glacier in Norway. And the foreshadowing here, even with the meteorite activity, oh, going to make it hard to figure out what's coming at us, you know, what to hide in later on. Uh, the Wampa snow beast here, the, the Yeti, essentially, the abominable snowman, 
um, explaining away Mark Hamill's disfigurement from a January 1977 car wreck. Um, yeah, and something that me as a viewer coming to uh, these films, coming to the original trilogies, uh, trilogy, pardon me, uh, in the, you know, kind of when it hit VHS or when we got a VCR. So, you know, I'm circa seven, eight years old. I don't know that I was as aware of the difference. Certainly I was not aware of like, hey, you know, Luke Skywalker, when we went to go see that movie five times in the last year, uh, he got hurt in a car accident. Now he looks a little bit different. None of that was on my radar. So I guess I've always really, really bought the the um, Wampa attack and the the change to his face, which is to say, I feel like I've never really seen the change except for you look at him between the first movie and the next movie like in the uh like in the holiday special and you just realize that that i don't know you realize that he does look different come empire strikes back i have a question for you matt fire away color is han solo's parka uh the heart the hoff parka i know it's sold as dark blue um on amazon and so forth um so i will say dark blue if you want to tell me because of how that portion of the movie is lit that it's actually black and everything has an icy blue sheen to it i'm I'm prepared to hear that it is actually black but it's i will say the original you know what color is this dress moment with the parka the uh the prop the costume is brown uh it appears blue at times it appears brown at others um the action figure was cast in that navy blue it'll it'll always be blue to me matt uh they have since released both blue and brown you can actually get both i'm i'm stunned to hear that um and i would actually and this has got to be out there on youtube and blogs and so forth i would bet that if you did if you took, you know, standard scene like the, you know, I'm going back out there. I'll see you in hell scene, like something like that from the from the beginning of the movie where he's inside the base. I would bet that if you did a a color sample in a, you know, in a drawing app or something like that and said, you know, what what color is this? I bet it would come back as some range of blue. I don't think this is some sort of optical illusion if you're saying pete they shot in a brown parka okay that that certainly is fine but again through the process of filming and light bouncing off of things let alone running through the camera and treating the film and all of all of that i i i i think the final product is an actual real blue they tell us brown it'll always be blue to me um just like when i look at general Riken's badge i see nothing but the purina logo <laughs> um <laughs> maybe some some deep level uh you know subliminal advertising there placement <laughs> um but pete speaking of the the i mean i don't know if you want to move past i, I don't know if you want to move luke out of the cave yet but but um i, I don't know why it is i guess i'm just thinking of the park i'm now thinking of when the tauntaun gets cut open um Hopefully that's still uh, unambiguously gross. I mean, again, with the stop motion, it's it's just something to behold. And thankfully, we're 
discussing, we both viewed the uh, Disney Plus uh, version that is last uh, touched as of 2005, made for the um, uh, the DVD releases, actually the Blu-ray, excuse me. Um, and, uh, you know, that they leave that alone, but, you know, mess around with other things. The, the special edition of this is not my favorite, Matt. Uh, I would watch, and, and thankfully I have the unaltered DVD cut that was like a throw-in with one batch of DVDs that uh, I, I will hold till uh, I no longer can. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, the, the cutting open of the Tauntaun little before that, though, that Han says that he needs to leave, we check back in recap that he needs to pay off Jabba the Hutt. Um, this simmering tension with Princess Leia and then presumably Boba Fett, but could be any other bounty hunter here they ran into at Ord Mantel, uh, a location that's now the headquarters for the Bad Batch. So even 42 years later is Star Wars dining on Empire Strikes Back. Now that's interesting. I had never considered that it might have been Boba Fett himself, that it was that bounty hunter. Uh, I frankly like that better. Uh, I think that's one of those things like I don't question my childhood, uh, you know, initial consumption of the film in that regard. Um, so that's that that certainly is interesting. Regarding the, the special edition um, changes on Hoth. I've always liked being able to see more of the Wampa, but I've never liked when the arm gets cut off. You don't have a practiced creature performer in there because it's kind of like this very, you know, high school stage. My <laughs> arm is off and it's kind of like show the pain as opposed to, you know, I'm Doug Jones or Andy Circus, and I've spent 30 hours watching, you know, gorillas and chimpanzees and orangutans and I have. I've talked to scientists who told me about the shoulder joint and, you know, things of that sort. It's just very sort of like, uh, you know, w with all due respect and much love, it's like very Shatner-esque, like, oh, no, my arm. And to me, it just takes me out of it because I, I remember what it's like to be like, what what is that thing? You can barely see it and so on and so forth. And then he runs out and kind of, I think there is a certain magic to the original in terms of like, what was that thing? Shark from Jaws, can't see it. But I think it's a better choice to say, no, let's just, let's have a really cool suit so you really get sold on, quite frankly, oh, he's run out of, he, certainly as a kid, I would say to myself, well, he's run out into this terrible thing and he's gonna, this snowstorm and he's gonna die and so on, you know, if not for being saved. But why not go back in there and battle the thing? You're Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber, go kill the thing. I now buy it as, oh man, this thing really is scary. I could see why he runs out. No small parts, right? But the reintroduction of the droids having off screen turned up the heat in Leia's quarters, melting things, something that was meant to kick off a Wampa subplot in Echo Base that there are deleted scenes of. Uh, later when they're um, fleeing 
the base, they pass by a door that has a sign on it and what, and the deleted scenes, they're largely dialogue lists that are available through Disney plus. It's the same that are on the, the Blu-rays 3PO rips off the sign. The snow troopers go in, they get off screen mauled by a Wampa. Um, so there was more planned for that. I, I agree with you. They, they just go, I, I think again, that's where the special editions, their fault is going too far. Well, we can do this now, but should we do this? Well, and you mentioned these, these, you know, plot points, some of which were at least partially filmed. Now's probably as good a time as any to just quickly recount that. Uh, and Pete, I'll quote directly here from, from the Wikipedia, because I think it, it captures it in a phrase here following the unexpected financial success and cultural phenomenon of star Wars, 1977, you know, sequels put into to production worth keeping in mind, as we discussed last week, uh, nobody thought that the, you know, nobody thought that star Wars, a new hope star Wars, no subtitle, however you want to title it. Nobody thought that it was going to become the biggest movie of all time. And in some movie theaters, you know, play nonstop for a year, etc., etc. Nobody thought that that was in the making. He so, brought it out for every holiday for those three years. We went on Easter. We went around Christmas. Uh, I remember seeing it at Halloween one year. Um, yeah, they they kept it in the zeitgeist and the merchandising and then the build up to the sequel here. And just the notion. So fine. Obviously the story continues after the first movie in terms of like, now we will fight for freedom, but just the notion of there was not a multi movie story in place. The idea that Lucas had some ideas, but then I won't say farmed it out, then looped in hired, Lay Brackett, uh, who he knew was also unwell with cancer, to to kind of do a lot of the you know, a lot of the writing, a lot of the legwork, and so forth. Collaborate there. Um, she passes away. Lawrence Kasdan is brought in. Here's my point: a lot of this, <laughs> these three years were well used, and for as much as in the prequels we were saying, George, where were people to be kind of equal? And fine, George Lucas, you know, uh, the, the, the king among equals. But where was your equal collaborator? Where was your person where you said, go work on this and let's meet in six weeks, as opposed to George has his hand in every, in every you know, uh, ingredient uh, for every recipe in the entire restaurant. Uh, here, this is what he's doing. He's get, handing things off to other writers and then coming back and, you know, so on and so forth. Similarly famously he doesn't want to direct it so it's Irvin Kirshner who comes in to direct and who says George I don't want you on the set every day I want to be able to do my own thing um so I'd like to add to the list of you know what is it that makes this movie so fantastic it's not just the story element in terms of you can pick up without needing to establish a brand new story universe you can conclude without really needing to wrap things up because you know there's going to be part three but also again you're having you're having peers work not underlings work and and they're bringing ideas and conversations and obviously george lucas at the end of the day has veto power and green light power and all that but 
great ideas are being brought to him that aren't necessarily his own. Yeah, Kasdan and Kirshner really, really drive this film. There's not an ounce of fat on it. There's nothing to cut. Um, they they had cut it already. The Wampa subplot, you know, in the base doesn't need to be there. And then, you know, that there's foreshadowing already of the Millennium Falcon's difficulties that are chewy you know, uh, starts to do, uh, you know, some, uh, regular maintenance that ultimately becomes problematic when Han wants to leave and now has this spat with Princess Leia when, I mean, Matt, how's that with the test of time? Like it came off a little bit creepy that he's so like, I know you want to kiss me. I know you need a kiss. Um, I look, I would agree that if, if the movie was being written today, probably, those particular lines wouldn't be there. Hopefully, Pete, I'm not I'm not uh, going to give it a, a complete okay because I'm trapped in an earlier age, uh, either either chronological age or mental, whatever it might be. But let me be this way: I think the fact that Princess Leia can push back against that. Let me be this way, Pete. I don't from from my view here. I don't think that there is kind of like an HR issue. I think it's private private smack talk back and forth and something that really really struck me in that kind of pre-escape portion of the film first of all just to see harrison ford just the magnetism that the camera has for him that's when i said oh right this is a movie with two leads and then you see princess leia whether it's giving the speech you know good luck everybody whether it's her going toe-to-toe with han solo this is a movie with three leads you say, well, fine, but these three were in the previous one. Yeah, but not like this. Not where they really, really are. You know, you have you have three leads, as I said. In fact, it's interesting to look at the poster and go giant. I mean, obviously, biggest of all is Darth Vader in the background. Darth Vader helmet, fine. But you have Han Solo and Leia in dipped over, you know, uh, about to kiss kind of motion. And then a, a much smaller Luke Skywalker, you know. This is the movie that had Harrison Ford, the star, whereas the last movie, obviously everybody was largely unknowns and nobody knew what they had. But again, just, wow, this is this is a trio that from the get-go are all acting as kind of independent, driven people. Yes, and I think the chemistry between the three of them is sold so well. You know, you talk character, character, and that helps to drive plots. So Luke going missing, the idea, all right, Han's going to go out after him. Uh, Leia is is worried. Um, I don't quite understand if your Tauntauns are indigenous. Also, how will they freeze before you hit that first marker? But I can forgive it. Um, and then... I always happened? kind of... Was, I, I had assumed that they brought Tauntauns in from snow planet alpha which is a, <laughs> is a lot like hoth but not as bad as hoth yeah i mean i can i can forgive that um but matt what does it yield now both men in her life are missing and who has to tell her uh it's cliff from cheers <laughs> um we all start small i suppose and there you know there he is um and this, of course, is around the portion um, of the story that 
you know, just the, when it's like, we have to close the doors. Okay. And the doors are closing and there's kind of the, the whine of the doors and the music is swelling and there's the soft push into her and then the clang of the door and Chewbacca yelling. I mean, look, George Lucas has done many great things. I don't think, I don't think George Lucas comes up with those shots, that editing and so forth. That's what, that's what fresh eyes get you. And that's just as beautiful a scene that's not using stop motion. It's not using rotoscope. This it's not using animation models, so on and so forth. At most, it's a guy in a, you know, modified chimpanzee suit. That, that's the biggest special effect you have. It's the camera. It's acting. It's it's shot placement, music, sound effects. It's classic, classic Hollywood stuff. Pure characterization, not emotion. Uh, and then to pivot from there for the return of Sir Alec Guinness as a ghost now uh, talking telling Luke that he needs to go to the Dagobah system to train with his former master, Yoda, and to set Luke's story fully in motion for this sequel. Pete, you mentioned Obi-Wan. Another another, um, thing I can't quite imagine, um, again, having seen the original trilogy for the first time on VHS, I can't imagine what it was like all of a sudden Obi-Wan is back okay as a ghost I can't access my memories of the first time that happened and being like oh man like you know kind of how mind-blowing that must have been fine we heard his voice and so forth uh at the end of the you know at the end of the prior film but among other things what a great way to get Sir Alec Guinness back yeah I mean we spoke in the last podcast about Star Wars about how Sir Alec referred to Star Wars as no peace for the remainder of his life, constantly hounded by autograph people, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, to return to be the force here, pun intended, to slingshot the story for Luke. All right, you have to learn more, you know, this time from my teacher, and then to see just any old person in Han wield a lightsaber and, you know, open a tauntaun. Um, and then the really apparent dialogue change here, you know, other than the huffing and puffing that even Family Guy made fun of uh, when he's laboring in the snowstorm here. But the line goes, you know, this will keep you warm until I can get the shelter built which I, as a child, thought he said Shelterville, like that was the name of the place they were staying, Shelterville. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it now says, get the shelter up in Harrison Ford's, you know, slightly older voice, because it was 15 years later, they re-recorded a line of dialogue or had somebody else say it. It's interesting to hear that there was confusion, at least, uh, to, to I mean confusion with you clearly it wasn't just you if they re-recorded the line um I guess as a kid I always had wondered I mean the way it's presented he gets out of the cave Ben uh, no I'm a, hypothermia and then um then uh Han kind of saves the day as a kid I always was like well how how cold can he be that being in that thing like just just put the tent up I guess, again, it's one of those things we don't see the shelter. Um, 
you can see when the uh, snow speeder comes in the following scene, Hans kind of erected a little snow fort and there's some antennae sticking at the top of it. Okay. Um, but shelter built versus shelter up, like that's the level to which we're going to tinker with this, George? Uh, apparently so. Um, I will say, especially in, you know, come morning where you, when you are getting the snow speeder slash, you know, in real life shot from a helicopter and all that, or a plane, um, just really selling, uh, the, the ice of Scandinavia and, and all of that. Um, again, you know, the writing of this took, took, well, started with George saying, I don't quite know what to do. Let me bring in other writers. But in retrospect, you know, desert planet and then very um, kind of antiseptic, you know, metal base in the Death Star to kind of go, well, what's opposite of both of those? Uh, you know, these snowy fjords and so forth. Okay, fine. You want to say it's kind of like a snow desert? So be it. But certainly, certainly it's not the hotness of most Isley and all of that. Um, and just, you know, you're by and large limited to where you can go on this planet and to choose somewhere that's so different from the first film uh, for this sizable chunk at the opening of the movie. It's just, again, maybe in retrospect, it's just obvious, but but what a great choice. And, you know, not overwhelming in terms of, all right, we filmed in a desert before. Let's find a place, practical locations, uh, identifiable enough. Uh, makes sense as a choice. Um, Luke brought back here to the base, placed in the back of the tank in a diaper in front of all his friends and made better. And then another change of dialogue here, you know, everybody's crowding around his bedside and C-3PO's talking and we need to add in 1997, Mark Hamill saying, thanks, 3PO. Um. I wonder, Pete, I wonder, had Lucas not sold Star Wars, would this type of thing have uh, have continued? You know, ad infinitum until, you know, until the end came, etc. Like, to, to, to your implied point, not all of these changes are necessarily for the better or in an attempt to improve. Like, again, I'll stand by including the Wampa more clearly, even though I think in the execution there's some issues um you know does it what impact does it have for him to thank 3po there i i don't know to be honest i don't know that i've ever even noticed it so if you don't notice it how why make the change etc and then we have the scruffy looking nerf herder watch in horror question mark as uh, eventually known siblings, French kiss. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to see in the course of the writing process, um, Luke's lost sister was out there as a story idea. Maybe somebody suggests it's Leia. Somebody else says maybe not like point being, if that's not a, I mean, obviously this movie does not explore the notion does not in its own body explore the notion of Luke's lost uh, sister, twin sister, however it might have been in a particular draft. I don't know. The fact that they 
the fact that, you know, a handful of years later, Lucas went to explore that further, but then it was not on his radar here to like not have the kiss. Or if you're going to do the kiss, there could be a smooch. That's perhaps a little gross or not even perhaps there could be a smooch, a quick peck that maybe is less gross between siblings uh, or kiss on the cheek or hearty hearty hug that maybe has some, you know, Wawa eyes or something, you know, like just point being again, I think there's a, there's a great virtue to this film. I'll just repeat it again, that it doesn't need to begin at the beginning and it doesn't need to end at the end. And, and again, I want to have this thesis. Maybe that's part of what makes it so great that they were making the best star Wars sequel ever in an era where part two, Pete, they didn't call it part two because part two, in Hollywood had this had this um notion of it being a lesser you know lesser thing James Bond doesn't do James Bond part 2 each one needs a different title so people are clear that this one's bigger better blah 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 um but they're making it without a whole lot of thought for part 3 uh it works for this trilogy it worked maybe less for the prequel trilogy and you know at the center of it all in terms of there's not a three film plan is this kiss and, and, and the veracity of it. Right. And that this wouldn't be a thing to go back and take out like, wow. Yeah. We meant that the whole time that they were brother and sister. I, I will, I will go to my end, not believing that, that that was not part of the plan, that that was just, how do I top? No, I am your father. Ah, secret sister. There we go. Hence, later, there is another, uh, the other that both Yoda and Obi-Wan know about. So, hence, you know, again, with the clarity of the prequels, but at that point, well, let's just say that there's another. There's another floating around there somewhere. So, if uh, Luke conceivably dies in this episode, we know we're not going to kill him off, but there there is a, a new hope. You know, Pete, it's occurring to me, I think, look, I think there's a lot that can be said that's positive about J.J. Abrams. I do think that audiences have soured on the J.J. Abrams roadshow. Also worth pointing out, so has Hollywood. I mean, yes, Warner Brothers Discovery is canceling every little last thing left and right and got rid of a big deal with him. But what was the last big J.J. Abrams thing? It was the last Star Wars movie. What what was his follow-up from that? I don't know. Producing some like, you know, there there kind of hasn't been the the John Favreauization lately of of JJ Abrams. Um, and I think his shtick of the mystery box, and we can just come up with the thing and be like, the answer is in there. And we're gonna figure out what the bleep it is in like three seasons, and I don't really know, but we'll figure it out is maybe some of that original DNA. I mean, that seems very George Lucas. That seems very Star Wars. And I'm not necessarily being critical of George Lucas or Star Wars. The rules are certainly different now. The rules of, hey, you want to pitch us a TV show? Don't pitch a, pitch us a cool pilot. Pitch us the five-year plan. Hey, you have a movie that you want more than 40 or $50 million for your movie. Uh, let's talk sequels. Let's talk trilogies. Let's talk spinoffs and all that. Let's talk larger universe. Um, So in a certain sense, George was there, maybe not from the beginning, but certainly with, you know, oh man, need to make a sequel to the biggest thing of all time. 
plan, plan, plan. But again, they didn't plan so much that they had a plan for the movie after this one. To have the Empire sit so much of this first act out until that probe droid is now broadcasting and they need to go out and check it out. It self-destructs, which leads us to the view of the Imperial fleet, uh, the Imperial March here by John Williams, maybe one of his signature creations uh, for all that he's done, um, you know, popping up in this film for the first time in what was needed, some kind of evil hail to the chief for Darth Vader. And then to have these massive star destroyers cast with an even greater shadow, uh, despite the fact that there are, you know, how do we follow up with TIE fighters? Oh, have a TIE fighter with a second cockpit bubble thing there. All right, you got your TIE bomber. And then, oh, my God, there's a, a massive, massive super star destroyer. Um, Yeah, I mean, all of it great choices and it's funny you know you saying they they kind of sit out the portion here i think that's part of the part of the benefit of opening with the fleet the probe droids and so forth is they are there we're just not seeing it you know it's like we sit and go probe droid takes us down oh yay luke is there and han is there and leia's there now he's missing but you know in the back of your head maybe you're even not consciously thinking about it but you're like i know that there's a i know that there's a droid there and then to go back and find it, to get all the, to get the information back at HQ. And just in case you, just in case you thought, oh, we're going to spend a whole lot of time in this first act of the movie. Just, you know, remember when we used to kiss in the back hallway and this and that, the other, you know, there's the line from the general, you know, it's a pretty good idea that the empire knows where we are. And now it's that, that foot on the gas in terms of, among other things, reminding us, yeah, the Death Star was a huge success, but here we are three years later. Okay, maybe that's a necessity because the movie came out three years later and because you're not going to say, hey, in the in-between movies, we defeated the Empire and now we're going to do, <laughs> can you imagine, now we're going to do some sort of movie sequel where all they do is talk about stuff in the Senate the entire time. Ugh, what a bad idea that would be. So, of course, the rebellion continues, but now, like, you know, if they don't get out in time, this is it for the rebellion. That's amazing, amazing tension there because you see all the baddies are here, and if our crew doesn't get out in time, it you know the the whole fight is done with. So the need to evacuate uh, Vader getting caught, uh, you know, in his chamber here, told by uh, Captain. Piet, who gets promoted the second here, that uh, Darth Vader chokes out Admiral Ozzel, who tipped off the rebels by jumping in too close to the system. Uh, and again, I don't know. I can't imagine. I didn't have the experience of three years in between each movie and so forth. I know, Pete, you've described you know, who is he under there? What does he look like? That kind of 1977 to 1980. And here they feed it by just the slightest little view. Okay. That looked like organic flesh. Is that a man confirmed, not a robot to the core, but what was that? And then you kind of factor in if, if you can, if you can imagine, I'm sure 
if you're of a certain age, you can. If you're a certain age, you can't. Just the notion of you can't pause it. You can't go back. You want to rewatch it. Here's what you do. You get done in about two hours time. You go buy another ticket. You go back again. That's mm-hmm. how you can get another uh, another shot of Darth Vader. And then maybe hope that in some sort of, you know, making of book or some sort of whatever, there's maybe a picture of that scene. But that it's just this fleeting moment where I, th- I think maybe it is a guy, but that's all they give you. I mean talk about i mean we have all these words now it's you know it's meant to go viral it's meant to be a gif it's meant to be a screen grab it's all there emotionally but you can't do it back then all you can do is sit and go did you is that a guy let's talk about it on the ride home the imagination of it you know oh not a robot now you know you could foresee all the clickbait articles that would come of just that little snippet there but the decision here by Lucas, and this was a concentrated effort, we're going to do the big battle in the first act. We're going to flip it on its head um, to have the evacuation and the attempt to stop them all coalesce in this first act to have the ion cannon, you know, letting the first transport get away uh, to have Hooray. Uh, jump. What's the matter? <laughs> Hooray! Oh, okay. oh, it's away. Everybody cheers. Like it's just right. it's burned into my brain. To have uh, Luke jump in a snow speeder with Dak in the back, uh, who's not going to make it. You know, oh, I feel so great, like I could take on the Empire all by myself. And then this just colossal mismatch of these at ats. Yes, Matt, that's how we say it. It's an at at. Uh, overmatched against radar dishes and harpoon cables. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's the scene, it's the action centerpiece, um, certainly of the film. I think of any time across the years, any time I've played a video game adaptation of Empire Strikes Back, this is the one you look for. In fact, I could even, you know, my memory go, I remember how awesome the you know Super Empire Strikes Back played for Super Nintendo in this scene. How does well, it compare to, to this? Atari, man, the the Empire Strikes Back on Atari was the snow speeder battle. Yeah, um, just you know what a scene. And I would also, I feel, I would also say I feel like perhaps as a kid there was this fleeting question: so how did the at ats get down there? But in the pacing of the moment, you don't question it certainly as it's like wait something is coming and just that great again the great visual language maybe it was in the script maybe it was george maybe it was irving kershner i don't know but just binoculars go well what is that and you go i don't see what that is zoom out a little bit more oh wait it's robot alien legs zoom back more and more because this thing is so big it's just so so well done it's it's interesting pete the at least the Wikipedia for changes in Star Wars re-releases does not mention anything for the the, the battle here with with the Adats. I have wondered throughout the years, and and you know you're the one with the original copy there. Um, I've wondered if they've done some sort of motion blurring, motion smoothing, because I feel like I feel like it still looks great. Maybe maybe it doesn't look 100% authentically real compared to you know. Last Jedi and those walkers or something like that. But boy, it looks good. Boy, it looks good to this day. Again, the tremendous stop motion work that they had done 
stands the test of time. One of the most notable things is that they make the cable more visible uh, upon firing it and then, you know, going around the legs before they bring it down. Um, you know, but same with the, the chicken walker, the ATST. We don't say atst because that's just dumb, Matt. Uh, but, you know, you see that for the, the first time, also stop motion. But with Luke getting downed, his speeder smushed here by the gigantic legs, just gets uh, away from it. Um, you know, the troops simultaneously entering the base and the fallback order before Luke again on his own. Uh, you know, heroes up the at at lightsabers, the belly open and uh, throws a grenade to blow one up on his own. Yeah, it's just I mean, it's this whole portion of the movie is so just so wonderful. Um, you know, the 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 Imperial troops have entered the base uh, kind of contrasted with, you know, we we really need to go and lay a given the order to you know, control room people, all of you get to your, get to your transports and this real sense that Han and Leia and yes, 3PO as well are just barely turning, turning the corner here and there ahead of troops um, to get to the Millennium Falcon and so forth. We'll, we'll find out when they hit space that uh, still the, the hyperdrive doesn't work. Um, I will say, Pete, the one thing, I guess I still have a question to this day and look, I should have two questions. The two questions should be, so what, all these ships just escape like on the other side of the planet because the Imperial Navy isn't blocking them there. But I think that's a story allowance we're all willing to give. I've always wondered, like, they've taken over the base, but still somehow Luke gets to the base question mark and then goes out the back door to get to his X-Wing where, where R2 is saying, hurry up, hurry up. But it's not, again, it's not hurry up like, oh my goodness, as the Millennium Falcon starts to turn around, that's when Darth Vader enters the 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 the, the landing bay. And as it zooms out, Darth Vader is just looking at it. And you go, oh my goodness, the dog almost bit me. It was inches away. I heard the teeth, cl- like it was that close. For Luke, there's a little bit more time. I guess that's how it goes when you're Luke Skywalker. So... You know, General Veers is bringing this ground assault team. The implication there, the shield went up. They, they've they got to walk to it rather than fly to it. Okay. It sets up story space, story clock to be able to do that. What was super noticeable for me on this particular watch, we're told over the intercom, Imperial troops have entered the base. And then he blows up the energy generator and then Darth Vader and his troops rush in. Um, so at least in that language, it still holds up. There's a nicer, you know, more uh, fantastic explosion to that shield generator on the special edition here. Um, but Leia getting stuck with Han after a collapse. Oh, you can't get on that transport. You have to come for me. That all works. Luke limping away in the snow there. That's like, to me, uh, another runway outside elsewhere. He never went back to the base as he sees the Falcon fly out nearby and 
of course, uh, we're going to pop in the X-Wing here. No, R2, uh, we're not going to the rendezvous point that everybody is. There's this new course I've not told anybody about. Um, which certainly suits the story and the, 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 you know, the, the dual paths that the story goes on. Um, as a kid, I would get bored with the deeper we got into the Yoda stuff. I would get bored. Um, I know that it's our opportunity to, to deliver all those inspired kids to, to give them some philosophy and some Joseph Campbell and so forth. Um, and, you, you know, of course, that five to eight year olds aren't, you know, down with a Buddhist way of thinking. I do it this way. I'll, I'll, I still, as I watch it now, of course, I'm not watching Empire Strikes Back with edge of my seat. What will happen next? Um, and I have the I certainly on a streaming thing, you know, on a on a home video situation where it's not even like I need to return this to Blockbuster tomorrow. You know, I'm at the leisure of pausing, coming back, fast forwarding all those nine yards. Um, even now, I still kind of get a little get a little bored with it. Uh, I do think. Again, to put it in a positive here, the cutting back and forth from the Yoda stuff to the the Han Solo stuff, I think they're aware that there's two different paces and two different levels of story and so forth. And um, quite frankly, the Han, Leia, certainly at this early portion, you know, all of a sudden it's kind of the, the cut to mid-scene, they're doing repairs, or maybe not mid-scene. I know we've had the, here we go broken engine sound um but some of that back and forth where it's like we're trying this we're trying that that's stellar stuff that's really really selling the stakes um and probably my favorite john williams track ever not just star wars ever is the asteroid field stuff and particularly as they're flying around and just where the you know the music builds 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 builds, builds boom hit the theme right around the, the parts where the tie fighters are hitting the uh the asteroids and just some of the excellent special effects here, not just the asteroids. Fine. Yes. One's a potato. Um, but like in particular, when the tie explodes on the backside of it, but you see the, the light kind of shining through, like it's just excellent. Everything is so excellent. And the one thing I have to mention as they head into the large asteroid from day one, where the, where the millennium Falcon loops up and then outside the view of the camera and then back down into it, I've always loved that for what it is, just in terms of like it's it's such a big shot that it's going outside the widescreen. It's only more recently where I said to myself, you know, with a little bit more special effects knowledge now, particularly since they're doing more practical stuff for Mandalorian, I was like, I bet they did that because the Millennium Falcon model is on a rig and you can only show the underside so far until you get to the the rig that's holding it up. So they probably had to split this into two shots. And it took somebody to like do the math to be like, great, now take down that model. Now pop off the bottom, screw it in the other way. And for mm -hmm. somebody to make it look like it was one big loop and you can see the arc, you can feel the arc, even though it is undoubtedly two different shots, maybe even two different models. It's just such a beautiful scene, the whole, the whole asteroid field part. The sense of movement in this high octane chase with wire work, <laughs> you know, with models, something I, I don't think we've equaled the intensity of 
I, I think something's lost when it's just done on a computer. Um, and to cut from that, you know, oh, the, the safety of we, we can just light speed away and that it fails and that now we have to hide. Um, and to cut from that to George Lucas's pool planet and, you know, the, the deeper, more uh, contemplative story. And, you know, I must say, too, for as much as, for better or worse, for as much as the kind of extended Yoda stuff does transport me back to being a slightly bored seven-year-old, um, similarly, I've never, I mean, look, I'm a child of the 80s. I went through my Muppets phase. I've seen all the Muppets stuff and all that, but I've never been, I've never been one of these people that's like, yes, Muppets, that's just at my core. Um so I think I, I do have to wonder too, where, and Pete, maybe I'm asking you this literally, maybe I'm asking it rhetorically, like maybe if you were of the Muppet age, whether you knew that this was Frank Oz, whether you knew that, you know, um, Jim Henson, you know, they reached out to Jim Henson and he then referred to Frank Oz and so on and so forth, whether you knew that or not, the fact that there is a Muppety kind of guy and here you are maybe coming off of, you know, loving the Muppet movies, loving the Muppet show and all of that maybe for the the antsy seven-year-old in the theater in 1980 um maybe it was more like but wait it's kind of like kermit and miss it kind of almost weirdly sounds like miss piggy and it's like all those friends and maybe that was enough to 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 punch through for for you know an antsy six or seven-year-old there was a real campaign for frank oz for the oscars that year in terms of what had been done with the you know, it's not puppetry. This is artistry, everything of performance, the voice, just the way that, you know, when he is revealed to be the Jedi master in the hovel, the the posture stiffening that takes place. But to begin it with a, a masquerade, a disguise that he's not sure you know, he wants to reveal himself or we're not sure if that's him. Um, and what does Yoda do eventually beyond uh, deepening in the prequels and for a very long time being the, you know, one of two ever glimpsed of his species. And now with Grogu and, you know, what we will or will not learn about him um, you know, Yaddle, even with the tales of the Jedi, uh, in the fall, giving us the idea that the species does not always speak in inverted syntax so that maybe Yoda was just strange, <laughs> was, uh, idiosyncratic. I certainly can appreciate particularly through adult eyes, the, the growth that's going on for Luke here. I also, it's funny, in this kind of dual mentality of I remember the original edition so well, uh, again, maybe maybe perhaps even because of the benefit of home video, um, I don't think I owned the VHS until, was the last VHS outing a, a special edition or was the last VHS outing like own the original one last time? Do you remember, Pete? You had special editions on VHS. Okay. I think I definitely had 
the like I think that there was a I think that there was the only original one last time campaign for VHS regardless you know I I've seen these movies so many times in the original again kind of in a perhaps across a number of years but in a compact way that wasn't necessarily there for if it's just a theatrical experience when Luke each time if i don't fast forward through dagobah stuff each time luke is crawling into the cave to see it in widescreen it's like it plays different than like um is he going into a hole in the ground like the the way it looked in the you know in the full screen vhs version which again just to be clear to listeners of a, a of a younger age it was not a special edition as much as it was just zoomed into the square shaped like your tv um it was just kind of the, the the geography of it was a bit confusing. And how's he going to get out of there? Does he have to crawl back up versus every single time I watch it now, it's like, oh, look, now I get it. Now I get how he gets into the cave or whatever it might be. Again, just point being, I have like my core version of it and I can watch the intended version, the theatrical version, the widescreen version. I can watch that now and it still does not, it still is new and vaguely interesting. And yeah i i tend to feel the same way with you like this journey within that as child uh you know i'm i'm trying to figure out and also is that really darth vader has he found him yes 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 slow motion but am i meant to think that this is real and lucas said before this feels like a dream and this place feels familiar and and all of that and it just deepens so well as an adult that it worked on two levels this amidst other stuff now that has resonance you know back on the falcon 3po's talking to the ship I don't know where it learned to communicate. Uh, Well, that's because in the solo movie, L337 has now been uploaded into its consciousness. So that's what you're talking to. And uh, Leia doing repairs and Han going to see her and the really, you know, favorite for for my money, John Williams uh, love theme between the two of them played out so well, um, you know, moving their story forward. Um, yes, both in the, um, kind of dire close quarter situation, um, during and post the asteroid field when they're parked in the asteroid, um, super kind of story kudos to like, and maybe this is stating the the super obvious, but they're inside the asteroid long enough to do whatever they need to do, uh, repairs, character stuff, smooch, and so forth. And because it's sci-fi, the minute it's like, all right, well, writer needs an excuse to get them out of there right away. Um, of course, that's when there's just, I mean, just the 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 genius reveal, something that I don't know. I, again it's just so it's such a wonderful reveal hey it's weird in here hey it's super humid um fine the inclusion of minox and you know sucky vampire bat alien things that that's neat that's a little scary 
Um, but then like, wait, why is the ground all squishy? You shoot it, it makes things move. And the whole reveal that they're in this massive, massive creature that Pete, even when the Falcon finally flies out of it and, you know, not, and you see the exterior of space blink and maybe you'll not see, uh, you know, it's a giant glove creature. You could basically understand there's a hand in there going raw. Um, but just the conceit of it is so fantastic. I almost want to say it's, you know, it's very Star Wars, not Star Trek. Okay, Star Trek has had some giant creatures and giant green hands and things like that. But it's just, you know, how are you going to, why are you going to get them out of this place where you can safely hide? Why do something like, oh no, but the sensors are better or things of that sort. Make it a giant creature. It just, it fits and it adds to the, just the wonderful menagerie that is Star Wars. To have them hide ultimately in the belly of a whale, but not know it, um, and need to escape. Um, meanwhile, the Emperor has demanded Vader make contact, something that, uh, of course, is in the original cut. Uh, the hologram there is actually of a woman and a, a male voice over it. And now, don't forget we... the monkey eyes, Pete. Wasn't there, wasn't there monkey eyes? Yes. And now we have, uh, you know, Ian McDiarmid uh, refilm this with alternate dialogue. This is the first mention of Anakin in Empire Strikes Back, whereas before that was originally done in Return of the Jedi. Um, but the notion that they will turn Skywalker okay, we're going to make them bad. We're going to make them fight for us. That's always been there. Uh, or he'll die. I really like the addition here. I have no complaint, no concern. Um, I think that it's better. I mean, it's, <laughs> I would argue it's literally better in that fine. When they filmed this, what's your idea of the emperor? I don't know. Throw somebody in for one scene. It's the, the wife of the, editor or something you know whatever it is it's a whatever it is it's a mishmash because it's a one scene thing and oh we'll figure it out if we have more emperor in the future on the surface now it makes more sense get ian, ian mcdermott in there because he's in the next movie um e even little things pete in this scene the size of the emperor's head is now bigger like there's just more of that like boom it's the first appearance of the emperor um at least in this trilogy you know it's the first appearance larger than larger than life um i i i like it i i like this edition i do and then to contrast that with the training taking place which involves a lot of climbing and swimming swimming swinging and flipping with uh the creature on your back that somehow doesn't fall out um, and learning about the dark side, that it's not stronger, that when you enter this domain of evil, um, that you only have what you take with you. You don't, you don't need your weapons taking them anyway and dooming himself, Luke is, sounding like Yoda now, uh, to the failure he'll ultimately succumb to. Pete, I know over on our Patreon, uh, we're going to, uh, well, after we're all done with this, we're going to extend the conversation a little bit talking about 
how how we would make this movie today i'll ask in this podcast here do you i mean look obviously this is a movie that works 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 on on every measure if not every measure period um how about this pete take me back to early childhood take me back to you and your peers in this cave scene where as as you had said before i think we are meant as we're watching it with the different frame frame rate and so forth i think we can be questioning how real this is i think as the fight goes on as you see it jumpy you're kind of going this is a a dream a projection a we- whatever it is this is not real when that mask explodes and it's luke skywalker's head how did that play when you don't have another movie to go to when you don't have prequels to refer to because i i feel like i have this vague memory of you know being like so it's luke sky what what like i just remember kind of being slightly confused how did that play back in the day i mean you you only get one take on that and then later in the film no i am your father and that led to three years of how do you put this all together? Well, the bad guy never tells the truth, right? There were gangs in my neighborhood, Matt, of, you know, Vader is dad and Vader is the bad guy and would lie and say anything. And I backed the wrong horse. Uh, the bad guy is always the bad guy and can't be your dad and, and can't ba- be brought back to the light, right? Yoda even said it. Once you start down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny, consume you at will, like it did Vader's apprentice, and is made to eat those words because nobody that they knew had been brought back or that they were admitting from a certain point of view, right? Like, Hey, there is another, Oh, but what about Bob? Yeah, Bob, we brought Bob back from the dark side. Don't you remember that Ben? Um, parallel to all of this, uh, we have again in a movie that's kind of so expertly written where each, each time you might have a slowdown, there's something there to keep the pace up and so forth. Uh, you have Vader bringing together the bounty hunters. Pete, I am sure. Sh- they're scum. <laughs> I am sure. Look, and we talked last week, Lucas had retained the uh, the toy rights and so forth. And, you know, what a genius move that was. I am sure everyone was clear that a use of this bounty hunter scene was to toy the heck out of it i mean this is as toyable a scene as you get give me some robot guy give me some lizard guy give me some reuse of a doctor who spaceman uh costume as well as vaunted boat yeah and to load their story yes we had seen boba fett before and one of the things in the marketing was oh you know mail away for your boba fett figure prior to the empire strikes back the infamous one there with the red projectile rocket on the back that some child uh you know uh mythically died somewhere swallowing it so now it's glued in and you'll never be able to play with it that way and the spring doesn't fire um but what does he have now granted in tamora morrison's voice which uh, all right the continuity it keeps i it'll always be my original um you know tapes voice in my head you know 
when he's told no disintegrations as you wish there. But wait, Boba Fett disintegrates people? You know, he takes them out completely. And with all of this, then the Falcon is sighted and just ekes away from a Star Destroyer, but oh, it's not on the scopes coming to realize that it's clawed on to the back of Captain Nita's Star Destroyer, uh, something that will ultimately get him choked out and killed. Uh, eventually, the Falcon makes its way to Cloud City, which uh, I, th- I think it was... I think the original movie, you know, in drafts of the original movie, there was the city in the clouds. Clearly, that's a, a sci-fi trope that, you know, well predates Star Wars. But just the the matte paintings here, the special effects, the way in which, you know, they have the cloud cars and the Falcon, you know, going around clouds and so forth, really selling you with the real world plates that they've shot and the models and all of that integration, um, the whole set design the whole kind of windy bridge landing spot that they that they land on and then uh they land on and then there's lando and just all the charisma that that uh, billy d williams brings um pete i don't know at the time you know i don't know at the time that it was like hey this is a very white movie we need to address that but how about this the star wars canon is improved by the character of Lando Calrissian and much improved by the charisma of Billy D. Williams. Uh, I remember being, being, you know, I don't know, five, six, seven, whatever it was. And it was like, I knew one thing, Pete, I knew that Colt 45 was the coolest beer out there. <laughs> okay. Even though I, I had that dad, let me have one little sip of Meister Brow one time when we got pizza and boy, it tasted gross. But I knew the Colt 45 was the coolest thing out there because Lando Calrissian right. said so. Right. Um, Bespin is my favorite Star Wars location of all time. And then on top of that, that you layer Lando Calrissian, you know, the, the fake out, uh, of going to punch Han and this, are they friends? Are they not long before the concept of frenemies existed? And then, oh, he's, He's an even greater ladies man than than Han is. All of it worked. And, you know, we talked with the Star Wars podcast and so much had been made that. All right. There are no people of color in prominent roles in the original. That has to be rectified. And that Billy D just comes in with all the charisma, with all the coolness to to play this role this barren administrator of this you know out of the way to ban a gas mine you know by a gas giant that we have this beautiful city in the clouds and the vistas and everything like that that you know most of the updates work for there's one really bad green screen sequence that previously had been a a white wall that they now turn into a railingless, uh, no wind area that they run by. And yeah, there's shadows from them, you know, and, and the setting sun, but it, it just, it, it's a bridge again, too far. The, the restraint in the late nineties 
did not exist anymore for Lucas. So it's, I'm going to add this and I'm going to add that. And, you know, to have the, the escape sequence so mucked up when beat for beat, it, it's perfect in the original cut, just so we can explain that Darth Vader goes from point A to point V when in the original he's explained, all right, I'm bring, bring my shuttle. Okay, there, there's no transporters in, in Star Wars. We understand he gets from the uh, station here up to his ship and, you know, needing to do that just a little bit too much. But it's about this time that C-3PO, you know, being curious, uh, hey, who's that? We don't see it. And he gets blasted, leaving us with the the further mystery of can we trust this super cool guy who's also hitting on Han's new girlfriend. I had said earlier, you know, the first act of the movie reveals that you really, really have three leads in this film. I would argue that if the arrival uh, at cloud city is the beginning of the third act, maybe it's the middle of the second act, but you know, at whatever story point you get to, you get to best spin for the rest of the movie. I think you can safely say now you have four leads. That's the power of Lando. It's the power of Billy D. Williams. Um, and then you talk about story stakes. On one level, you know that three PO is a robot, but there's a very visceral, visceral reaction. Again, the way it's shot. I assume this is you know all credit to Irving Kirshner, and uh, you have returning editor Paul Hirsch. Um, but you know, three PO wanders over to somewhere wait, what is that? We're only seeing his end of it. We're not seeing the other end. You hear the explosion and then you see parts clattering, you know, and there's kind of this like, wait, did they, did they just blow him? Up? I mean, uh, they did just blow him up, but he's a robot. And if that was a per, and there's kind of the, the stakes here. Um, and it fits perfectly with the Star Wars aesthetic of like, you know, droids. Oh, I don't know. They're annoying in somewhere versus like, especially as kids, you're like, they're the two best people. Um, but now, 3PO quasi out of commission quasi you know like what's his status big question mark um and it's just all this with you know can we trust Lando um you know great great portion of the story here these pig-faced Ugnaughts throwing his head back and forth when Chewie ultimately goes searching for and finds him in a pile uh, hey, what's wrong with you? Got a problem with your droid? No, no problem, not at all. And goes for a little refreshment there with uh, you know Lando, uh, Han and Leia and and Chewie uh, to be betrayed. You know, oh, I just made a deal that's going to keep everything I've built here okay. And of course, it's Darth Vader and Boba Fett and a you know platoon of stormtroopers that uh, you know sneak in behind them. Um, you know, I, I have very strong memories of getting the C-3PO, uh, action figure for Empire Strikes Back that you could take apart. You could turn the head backwards and put it on that way and take the limbs out. And he had a little vinyl bag that, you know, you'd connect with your 
Chewbacca figure and he can be all in pieces in the back and such a simple thing, such a simple idea, but the imagination behind it, like what did he see and what happened to him? And he got blown apart and they had to put him back together. I think I still have some residual access to those, those memories of being seven. And by the way, Pete, I should mention uh, these films were on VHS 1985 uh, we didn't get a VCR until 1987, so that's why, not that anybody's necessarily doing the math with my age, but in case I've referenced the years, um, you know, a little bit of delay there, blah, blah, blah. But I I think one understands, certainly watch the first film, and Darth Vader is in the dark drab, not not filled with shadows, but kind of the, the darkly colored um, Death Star. And there's kind of this sense that he exists, you know, Darth Vader, like Michael Myers, like Freddy Krueger, they all exist in the shadows and they don't exist on sunny days. And here you are, Cloud City, about as bright and sunny as it gets. And that door opens and there you are at this dining table and there's Darth Vader. I think that, I mean, the incongruity, I think, is on purpose and the notion that evil has made it even to this this you know uh ethereal place and so forth i just there's a sense of there's a sense of leftover dread that i have from this portion of the movie um and if we may fast forward ahead ever so slightly i I know i've talked about this on previous podcasts not the not in recent star wars discussions but seeing the the han torture scene for the first time i distinctly remember leaping up and pressing stop on the vcr or maybe even just pressing the eject button and like movie i reject thee this is so (laughs) scary and terrible um i don't have an adjoining memory of like or i think i might have a memory of then immediately moving to return of the jedi and maybe being a little confused maybe that's a false memory i certainly let's say as a seven-year-old maybe with that first rental or the you know let's rent it again a couple weeks later a couple months later whatever it is i certainly would routinely fast forward through that maybe even press stop and fast forward so because whatever was so terrible and there was a hole in my understanding of the narrative there's a hole for some time where i didn't there was a certain portion there in cloud city that i had not seen um and even to this day the scene where they walk out of the torture room and it's boba fett talking to darth vader every single time i see that scene to me that scene is almost anew um it's like it's it's like it's like a deleted scene has been put back in um because i'm so unused to seeing it relative to you know the way the goggles should look on hoth or the this or the that that i've seen a thousand times that that portion i've seen very little of to have most of the screams come from off screen and then for vader to enter the room where lando and boba fett are waiting somebody you know you you imagine they have plenty of backstory between them ran in similar circles and now you know it's it's essentially we're waiting outside the hospital room for a baby to be born type of you know situation and vader comes in telling them that you know uh they're they're gonna um you know keep leia and the wookie there and uh that han is gonna be sent off with the bounty hunter that he'll get him 
um, and Lando lamenting that the deal gets worse all the time. And then Lando having to tell Han and Leia that it's not even about you, that this is all a trap for uh, somebody called the Skywalker. And um, Vader using this crude carbon freezing facility to encase Luke for his journey to the Emperor for bad guy training in something that would ultimately become the standard for Mandalorian shipping throughout the galaxy. <laughs> and of course the, I mean, uh, Pete, I, 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 I dare say most people, if not all people listening to the podcast uh, know the story, but the notion that the, Han's about to be sent down. I love you. I love you. Dialogue, how that just wasn't working. And Kirshner takes Harrison Ford aside and says, don't think about it. Just say it. Which, of course, this is a story that I suspect gets better over time because as soon as you tell somebody not to think about the elephant, they're thinking about the elephant. But, um, you know, I love you. I know. Boom. Cut. Go to lunch, everybody. That's the, the, that's the moment. You know, and the, and the number that they tried of lines um you know but just completely sold on the set um but the the boldness matt to ice your secondary lead at this point in the film okay uh to do that i just remember like what wait what what are they doing to han you can't take him out of the story this can't happen well These are and, against the rules and again that's where i'm i'm at the disadvantage in 1987 uh or even to whatever degree i was you know culturally aware of star wars before seeing it i'm at the disadvantage of knowing that there's another star wars movie versus rewind to 1980 you know obviously there's not you know uh, entertainment trade websites out there. There's not Entertainment Tonight on five days a week, you know, let alone all these other shows that cover not entertainment yet. news. But <laughs> it, it must have been out. I mean, somebody, word must have been out there, whether it reached you, Pete, I don't know. Word must have been out there like Harrison Ford doesn't have a contract for the next movie. They may have just killed Han Solo. Like that was true at a certain point in the making of this movie that this was a kill him. him. Yeah. You know, then. Uh, a little movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark and, you know, all of that. But, you know, emotionally as a five-year-old, this film is, you know, messing with me as far as the the narrative of what can be done to our favorite characters. You know, you, you can't take him out of the film at this point at at that now they're boyfriend and girlfriend man and luke doesn't know and wait what what does this mean for luke and leia like so many things whirling through your mind watching this and weirdly like so many of them potential negatives like yes this movie you know lucas was going to sell fund and then uh, you know, on the DVD, he says how all of a sudden Bank of America stopped. They said, you're not getting paychecks on Friday and they weren't funding us anymore. So we had to get help from a studio. And on the DVD, it's like, oh, you can't escape evil Hollywood. 
what Lucas leaves out is this movie budgeted at $8 million ultimately costs $30 million. So if you're the bank, <laughs> you have some concerns about a runaway production here. Um, but again, with all of this, my, my point is this, this movie starts out being made as an independent production where like the number one line is 20th century Fox, you're going distrib- to distribute it, but don't you dare even think about any creative input. They then claw some, you know, a little more of a creative role as their financial involvement increases, et cetera, et cetera. But surely there, surely you could have run focus groups to be like, uh, the Muppet is boring and the you know icing han solo is scary and worst of all when luke skywalker cuts off his own head in the cave that's even more scary get rid of it all can't we just do like i don't know they fight in another death star or something like the fact that this didn't get focused grouped away is a minor miracle it had never be made this way today um and you know on top of the frozen hibernating okay he's alive han solo because there's no guarantees it's going to work we're going to test it on captain solo uh you know being confirmed as alive okay and in perfect hibernation vader alters the deal uh no leia and the wookiee come with me now okay pray i don't alter it further storms off okay here, uh, Bounty Hunter, you can have your prize for Jabba the Hutt. And then uh, Lando exchanging this look with his second-in-command, with Lobot. Um, you know, this with the best duel in the entire saga in the offing, um, where it is super apparent Luke is not a Jedi yet. Um, and this high stakes game of okay can i freeze him and bring him to the emperor uh the cat and mouse in this tabana gas facility where you imagine they take the gas and they ship it so that people can do things with whatever you do with tabana gas you referenced the inversion to have the big you know, the big fight with all the ships and all the extras and all the everything, all the laser beams and, you know, attack patterns and all of that to open the movie with that. Uh, the exchange here is that you get the big emotional battle. I mean, it's a fantastic sword battle. The sets are amazing. The lighting is amazing. Um, the intimacy in a location like this, you know, as well as the wisdom to go, you know, fine, we're going to go from the very, uh, like literally stagey um, uh, carbonite freezing area in that part of it's elevated and, you know, great camera angles and you get all the, the smoke coming up and all of that. But then to not stay there so long that you don't go somewhere else to just to give you other shapes, other, you know, other story opportunities, including, you know, the the inside where there's a window, then the window breaks and then there's the outside as you 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 know, increase the stakes here. Now you're on a ledge. Now you're on the the parapet that's at the edge of the ledge and so on and so forth. As you head to the emotional reveal, you know, Pete film, I believe I'm correct, filmed on the day as no Obi-Wan Kenobi killed your father. And of course the plan being, we're going to have James Earl Jones say something a little different and only 
Kirshner and Lucas and uh, Mark Hamill are going to know. People in the galaxy knew about it, but if we could just cut back for a moment to Lando turning the tables amidst this duel, you know, well, Luke can still rescue them. Well, no, Lando's going to help them out. They don't trust him uh, immediately that, oh, wait, you know, Chewie's going to choke him to death, um, but that he's going to give them an opportunity to still save Han. So, all right, we're, we're not, uh, you know, giving up on Han Solo just yet. Uh, now in the special edition, they give you a little bit more of a scope of Cloud City. It cuts away to extras in a hallway stopping to listen. Then there's extras all over a stage, which is also part of the Return of the Jedi, um, you know, extension of people celebrating throughout the galaxy on Bespin and an exterior. That's where this horrendous green screen comes in as they're running to uh, stop Boba Fett from leaving with Han and uh, our favorite, Matt, the ice cream maker guy running through the hallway there. And am I correct in saying that it's now a thing, which just in case people aren't in the know, there's literally an extra carrying literally an ice cream maker from our universe. there, meant to be escaping guy holding weird technology thing. Like, don't isn't it now a thing at star wars celebration like every time there's like the running of the whatever and yes and anybody who's dressed like that and has a thing like they do yes. the run like it prior it's, to mandalorian you know making the ice cream maker a combination safe slash mcguffin holder uh yeah they did the running of the wilro hood characters you know you get your orange jumpsuit you slap on a mustache you get a ice cream maker or make an ice cream maker now you can buy one of those that unlocks at uh galaxy's edge i see that the uh, on shopdisney.com camtono safe it's sold out currently but it's yes, 40 45 dollars <laughs> that's not a bad 45 i don't know I'll, I'll assume it is proper sized $45 is not bad for what you're getting, which is to say, if you appreciate, like, there's my Camtono as shown in Mandalorian as also a super deep, nerdy, fun cut from Empire Strikes Back. Like, that's not a bad exchange of money for whatever. Uh, I want to say, I want to stand up, Pete, in uh, defense of the special edition stuff in this portion of the film. I like the crowd shots. I have to admit, I, I, I'm i sure if I went looking for this bad green screen I would notice it, but I feel like from the first it's time I saw one. it's just one shot. The other ones work for me, but there's one where Han, Leia and uh, Chewie run down a hall that originally had just been white. And, you know, the shading doesn't match. Again, there's no railing or anything. It's just we are against the skyline here and it's too much. Um. I distinctly remember feeling the first time I saw the special edition in, in the theater that, you know, now Cloud City is bigger, cloudier, cityier, like it's, it's cityier, <laughs> but ju just the whole thing. It's more, the, the, there were, there was more in a good way. 
Um, and I'm struck when I rewatch how it, how you know it's not that I'm comparing shot for shot, but just wow, the expanse of this place that that really gets sold by the special edition. I would also say too, I know that we kind of we all kind of culturally go back and forth like George, stop special editioning the special edition and then do a new special edition to the special edition. I, I will say, just as there have been refinements to Job of the Hut, you know, Pete, is this something that for the you know, 50th anniversary of Star Wars, all of a sudden you go, oh, uh, somebody just did a comparison. Disney Plus quietly now has, that scene now has less green screen issue, more shadow, or they put a railing in, like whatever it is. That could just be one of those things where somebody says, you know what, we are going to take some, you know, a special effect person, we are going to take two weeks of their salary and have them make this look great, you know, for all time. It could happen. There's no, it could happen. It, it's a super slippery slope. I mean, like I said, the, the argument here towards the physical content that I have, those two cuts, the original, um, you know, the Blu-rays, which are the, the current Disney cut, um, you know, the, the amount of times that they went back and changed things, they changed things right away on, you know, the original Star Wars on re-release with now it's got an episode number. And then one of the first things changed on a re-release with Empire Strikes Back after R2 spit out on Dagobah, um, you know, Luke had previously said, I, it's a good thing you don't taste good. And now it's just like a, oh, I'm glad you're okay. Um, I, I think not every change is for the best. And if you're going to continue to evaluate a piece of art, yet change it, you know, the Mona Lisa, they're, they're not going to suddenly, well, you know, we'll do this shading and we'll do that. And you can't do it. Um, this by a guy who famously said, great works aren't finished, they're abandoned. Well, you know, then you need to stop. Uh, I do wonder, I mean, in film and TV, when something is beloved, but now has aged out of uh, being eternal, if you will, like, it's too old fashioned looking or it reflects tropes that no longer are appropriate or it might be, they remake it. So here's again, Pete, if you want to discuss this now, or if you want to ponder it rhetorically, does the special editionization of things, does that future proof it against one day saying, you know what? And the sand crawler still never looked good and there really aren't enough diverse people in the first one. And this doesn't ma match with that. And there's the kiss and empire. So coming in 2037, the, the reboot star Wars trilogy. Like if you, perhaps if you make these little changes along the way, it's never quite so old that you give up the original. I was so jazzed to see the special edition of star Wars in, um, 1997. And then, you know, just two weeks later, you're, you're seeing empire strikes back and to have 
my favorite sequence in all of Star Wars, you know, the final act of this film just messed with with stuff that did not need to be there. When you consider you go from Luke losing his hand to finding out that potentially Darth Vader is his father, uh, the no of him giving himself up uh, and falling down the, the spire shaft of uh, Cloud City to ultimately wind up in reverse crucifixion uh, on the bottom of this facility and reaching out to Leia to come rescue him and all the tension there. Our, our hero has had his best friend taken away. Uh, he is all alone. Uh, everybody's abandoned him. He's lost his hand. The bad guy might be his dad. And then we got to realize that somebody goes from point A to point B and we need to shoehorn a shuttle in there in something that was as simple as him saying, bring my shuttle. The the terse delivery of James Earl Jones originally with the shot of just Vader walking towards the exterior, bring my shuttle was businesslike enough to know his son may have just slipped through his hands and he needs to get away. Now it's it's far too. I mean, even the the cadence of it. Alert my star destroyer to prepare for my arrival. It takes me out of this scene. And then to reuse an alternate angle from Return of the Jedi with the same actor greeting him at the bottom of the ramp. You can see it. Just does not hold up. Pete, how ironic here in a movie that says maybe maybe dad is the bad guy. Here you are <laughs> saying maybe Star Wars dad, George Lucas. Yes, he gave my Star Wars life, but dad also has done bad things with story decisions uh, and so forth. Um, it's funny hearing you, hearing you recount... Uh, perhaps not the 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 complaint portion but just hearing you recount how luke reaches out to leia it's kind of like as much as as much as before i was saying you know it's the next movie where they really rely on the lost twin sister and all of that um they're heavily hint i mean this way they're they heavily are. hinting I at it they, here i think they had like all right here here are the branches we can follow up on but Jedi to Jedi can can speak can can reach out but can this be done to a normal person can this be done to someone else you care about it it works both ways and I think that's why it's effective um and again the fact that the movie can wrap up uh not needing to have the ending rather an ending um just the notion of the the well first of all we should say for a whole movie where the the magic hyperdrive that fixes all things just give it a little bit of time and then you get to zip away it hasn't worked finally you get r2d2 back on the millennium falcon uh who bleeps the bloops and pushes the switch and red turns to blue and uh and you know just as they're about to be captured they escape 
to How then have Matt's Vader Matt. He doesn't kill the guy who's responsible for screwing it up. So Admiral Piet has failed upward the entire film, this survivor here, and he only survives because Luke is Vader's son. And he's so angry he's gotten away. It is actually out of characterization for him to wreck the ship and rip them apart. But then after, after that portion, uh, the, the quiet of, uh, the battered Luke with the medical droid. And, you know, I don't think it's any great surprise that like, look, Mark Hamill has a hand at the end of this movie and a hand at the next movie. Um, I still think the, I mean, look, we can all imagine how they did, um, how they did Mark Hamill hand, you know, and then they did a little, you know, gear robot prosthetic thing. And we all can understand how they did that shot of here's the things and they're testing it out. And it's Mark Hamill moving his fingers or a hand double. We can all know how it's made, but it just looks so perfect. And it's kind of like, I saw him with no hand. I think the guy has a real hand, but I saw the character has no hand and so battered on his face and this and that the other and here he is healing here it is kind of the calm of emotionally we've lost so much there's the kind of slight buoyancy in the music of like look it does start to get better look we we were he's got the prosthetic hand um and look, just lando we, is wearing uh han's clothing like we can just swap in one thing for the other and it'll all be okay uh, pete maybe lando wanted to to jump into other other uh, arena in which Han Solo uh, might have found himself, the boudoir, etc. Um, but just the way it kind of, the movie, you get the slight, again, you get the slight uplift, particularly through the John Williams music of like, look, the hand's okay, boop, 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 little robot future stuff. But just, you know, as we head to looking out there, we're going to try and rescue Han and just the, the way it kind of continued, you know, it doesn't give you a gut punch, but it's kind of like it gives you this sense of like the 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 meal after a funeral, and it's like, well, things are starting to get better, but Grandpa's still dead. Like <laughs> it's that feeling. But again, the way you walk out of those those sorts of dinners, and you go, you know, okay, we've had a tough spell, but there still is hope at the end. But we still have the tough spell in recent memory. Like all of that is somehow captured in what might be the best ending of a star wars film you have the escape the narrow escape but the the downer to it and as you said before the music somehow remains hopeful and romantic you know leia is out there and uh you know we'll find han and we'll get back to you. We're going to locate Jabba and oh, Tatooine. Like we know where this picks up um, and and really comes back 180 uh, to where we were. And something that was important for Star Wars to examine itself in order to move forward. And again, I'll just say, I can't imagine what it was like in 1980 seeing this movie and i don't have it in front of me when did finally uh when did harrison ford officially sign on to do the next film and so on and so forth but and perhaps perhaps by the time this came out may 6 1980 perhaps all that had been resolved but i'll sprinkle in 
the 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 pixie dust slash asterisk of with information not have moving not moving as quickly back then as it does now you certainly aren't going to get a an update on your phone from you know uh whatever the hollywood reporter just did a a push notification on your phone harrison ford signs to do star wars 3 um within you know 30 minutes of it being announced that sort of thing to 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 watch this movie knowing hey i heard this rumor he actually might not be back what else could they do for the next movie where maybe people stayed dead maybe the things that they said in this movie i am your father no more han solo okay fine he's alive in the carbonite but maybe these things are really real maybe they maybe you know real within the world of the story maybe these things are going to stick i mean what that must have been like walking out of the theater in 1980 i i i don't know what else quite to compare it to to go from five to eight years old between the release of these two films and all the adventures that were yet to come what what will go on you know talk when we do return of the jedi next week you know the the first still you saw of jabba the hut from like the the bust up and all i did was draw him and you know not knowing he's a slug and all, all this other stuff that would happen and just the treasure trove that is his palace and you know an an amped up cantina vibe with the number of aliens and creatures and denizens and all of that but all of that is in the future at this point and like i said it was do you believe the bad guy do you not believe him and all the the playing we went through uh, theorizing of what would happen, those continued adventures, you know, you consider that they turned each of the sequel movies, you know, two years and then you were in at the next adventure. Um, yeah. It's a, it's amazing that we've gone to that. And, and now where are we? We're in a, we're in a four year gap, Matt, between Star Wars films and people are already like, well, Star Wars in theaters is not a thing anymore or it's it's overdue. I do wonder. I I do wonder what the future holds. Clearly, there will be more Star Wars movies, you know, in the future. Does it what does that look like? Um, perhaps theorizing for another time. I wonder, you know, do we see the Mandalorian on screen? Is the is the star the Star Avengers team up between Mandalorian, Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, and so forth? Is, is that head is that building towards a movie or not? What does that mean in the world of streaming? You know, this in twenty twenty two we got more we got more Star Wars minute more minutes of filmed Star Wars than you did from 1977 to 1996 i'm not saying that all of it was better than every moment of the original trilogy but just i I think these are interesting questions Mm -hmm. interesting kind of to be continued questions particularly as we start to wrap up this discussion of this movie that ends with this big to be continued and maybe there's some solace in that that at the end of the day whether a star wars movie has an ending uh, or the more definitive ending of Return of the Jedi, or this ending, whatever it might be, the story continues on, you know, whether it's in the movies, whether it's on TV, whether it's animated, whether it's live action, whatever it might be. 
the middle act and the promise of more, you know, I think they were smart there that you could go for the cliffhanger that it could work rather than, you know, you referenced before the the studio might've demanded, well, we don't know if we're going to fund your third film. So make this a possible ending, get it as resolved as you can, which would be the order now for TV, not knowing you'd, you'd get a, uh, a next season. I just finished the, the Willow series and the discussion is, will they be renewed? And, you know, that they didn't seem to move the the dial on the zeitgeist. Uh, so though you may have, you know, sown seeds and, you know, look a lot like you were coming back, doesn't mean you will. Well, Pete, I know we will be back uh, next week to talk Return of the Jedi, perhaps even sooner if there is that Mandalorian season three trailer and uh, certainly our continued podcast adventures made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content all sorts of levels to contribute at takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door you'll have access to the conversation we will have after this podcast about what we'd uh do in a special edition can't contribute right now get yourself over to apple Podcasts where you can leave a rating or a review to any of our now matt 33 podcast feeds and certainly that support always appreciated uh lets us continue this fantastic geek party year round so our thanks as always pete particularly if there is going to be a Mandalorian preview with new footage to pour over in the next 48 hours or so, how can people be in touch with you on a social media network? <laughs> you find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K E T E L A A R 12,687 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the P and the H. Like it today. On the pop culture podcast feed, Pete, uh, like you've said a couple of times now, likely talking Mandalorian trailer. Uh, in the next couple days, and certainly talking Return of the Jedi uh, this time next week. Uh, with that, things beyond that, before we start to count down to Picard, I'll just say stay tuned. Some 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 plans afoot. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners as I go look outside the window and stare off at the galaxy, uh, and I'll leave you the final word. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. <laughs> <laughs>